Let's pray and we'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you've saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ, not just as individuals, but you've saved us into a church. We pray this evening that you help us to understand something of the glory of church and uh, help us to understand more of the role that we should play within your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some things are not important to me. They don't matter. And so I don't really care who does them. It doesn't matter to me what our dog eats. So I don't care who feeds the dog. I don't care if they have some degree in dog feeding. I don't care what dog feeding experience they have. I certainly don't care if it's their brother's turn to do it. I just want someone to feed the dog. The same when I'm in a restaurant. I don't care who brings me my food. I mean, you know these waiters, it's really the modern thing, isn't it? They come out and they say, Hi, my name is Ramon. I'll be your waiter this evening. I have six years' experience as a waiter, but soon I'm going to be a famous actor. I speak Spanish and English and I'm a Capricorn. I feel like saying, Ramon, I don't care. Just bring me my food. Sorry if you're working as a waiter until your acting career comes through, but, uh, but you know what I mean, don't you? It's not that important uh, who brings me my food. I don't need to know their qualifications. I don't even need to know their name. In, in fact, uh, it's the same for most things. The shop assistant, the, the garage attendant, even the postman, it is quite rare that I care in the slightest about the qualifications of people who do things for me. But sometimes I do care. Uh, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, I tore my bicep. Uh, I went to see a surgeon to have it repaired. I tell you what, it mattered to me that the surgeon had the appropriate qualifications. Uh, I didn't want to see my urologist for the job. I, I didn't want the doctor mistaking my, my leg for my arm. The, the surgery was important to me. It was important that it be done well. So I wanted someone with the right qualifications, an, a, an arm surgeon. Same with our building project at the moment. Uh, day by day we see uh, engineering reports, for example, about how the building's going to stand up. We don't want a waiter called Ramon who aspires to be an actor writing the engineering reports. Uh, we don't want a bricklayer doing the carpentry. It's too important. We don't want this building falling down on us. And so we need people who are, who are appropriately qualified to do the job. Same with my kids' education. I care about the qualifications of their teachers. I don't want someone teaching them maths who can't add up. Thanks, Alex. Uh, I don't want a piano teacher who can't play piano. Thank you, Kim. Uh, my kids are important to me. Their education matters to me. So I want properly qualified teachers. Uh, some things are important. And so you need people with the right qualifications. As we've seen uh, over these last few weeks, this book in, in the Bible called 1 Timothy is a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. Uh, Paul has left Timothy in the city of Ephesus. And uh, the first thing that Timothy has to do is he has to stop some false teachers in the church. Uh, these teachers, they are not teaching that Jesus saves sinners as a free gift. No, they're trying to teach the church, the people in the churches, that you have to obey God's Old Testament law to be a proper Christian. 
Paul knows that no one can obey God's law. We are all sinners. And Paul knows from personal experience that Christianity is all about Christ Jesus coming into the world to save sinners. And so Timothy has to stop these false teachers, remove them from their position, and he has to keep on commending the message that God saves sinners by grace through Jesus. Chapter 2, Paul discusses uh, some other things that should happen in the churches that Timothy is looking after. He, he says the Christians should, first of all, he says Christians should pray. If Christianity is really about God's grace, if Christianity is really about God saving sinners, then the natural response of Christians should be to pray to this God. Uh, Paul then speaks to Timothy about the women in the church. He says, first, that Christian women should focus on, on serving Jesus, on, on trusting and serving Jesus, and not on their external appearance. And he also says that Timothy should not be appointing women to take the place of the false teachers. Uh, women should not teach or assume authority over the churches. Well, now as we come into chapter 3, Paul speaks to Timothy about who should be appointed to teach and lead the churches. Uh, the people that Paul calls overseers. Now, the first thing that Paul says is that uh, being an overseer is a good thing. It's, it's a good role to aspire to. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Have a look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task, literally a good work. Uh, and Paul then goes goes on to describe to Timothy the kinds of qualities that he should be looking for in people to appoint as overseers. Uh, in summary, they should be men who are above reproach. That is, the sort of men who are not open to criticism for their teaching or for their character or for their behaviour. Verse 2. Now the overseer is to be above reproach. And now Paul fills out what that means. He fills it out with uh, some things they should be, some things they shouldn't be. So we start off with six positive qualities. Uh, so first, um, he should be a faithful husband, literally a one-woman man. Uh, second, he should be temperate. Not, not, uh, not hot-tempered, not cold and disinterested, but kind of even, warm. Uh, he should be self-controlled, a, a disciplined, sensible man. He should be... Fourthly, the kind of man people respect, someone people look up to. He should also be, fifthly, hospitable, welcoming, generous, loving to the outsider. I've run out of fingers, but he must also, sixthly, have the ability to teach other people, to teach them the truth about Jesus. Verse 2 again. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach. What does that mean? Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. That's what you are looking for. Paul then describes some character traits that you don't want in overseers. He says they mustn't be big drinkers. They mustn't be violent, argumentative, kind of bullying sort of people. And they mustn't be greedy for money. Verse 3. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. And then just three more things Paul talks about. Again, positive qualities that, the, that Timothy should be looking for in the kind of men to appoint as overseers. These are things he describes in a bit more detail. Uh, firstly, he says they should be men who've demonstrated leadership, godly leadership in their own families because their family is like a microcosm of God's family, the church. 
And he also says they should have some runs on the board as Christians, not, not just recent converts. And then thirdly, he says they should be the kind of men who will be a good witness to non-Christians as well. Uh, verse 4. Verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. These are high standards, aren't they? I mean, it's, it's not ridiculous, it's not unachievable or unrealistic, but, but it's high standards. Timothy needs to find mature, godly, capable men to lead the churches. Men who, by their godly example and their true teaching, will, will commend the good news about Jesus. All right, that's overseers. Uh, Paul now goes on to speak about deacons. We don't know exactly what a deacon did. The word deacon, it just means servant. Uh, but, but deacon here, um, it's, it seems that some kind of recognised position. So it's serving the church in a way that's recognised by the church. So deacons here are men and women who serve the church in a recognised way. Also women, men and women, who serve the church. Again, Paul tells Timothy, be careful who you choose. Be very careful. The men and the women who serve the church in these recognised ways must be men and women who believe and who exemplify the message about Jesus. Now, notice as we read, you'll see lots of the same qualities that, uh, that Timothy should look for in overseers, although one notable missing quality is the ability to teach. So these deacons are not the men who teach and lead the church. They are serving the church in, in other recognised ways. Verse 8. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. Now, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They have to be genuine Christians. They must first be tested, then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Again, high standards, wouldn't you say? High standards for deacons. Okay, overseers, deacons. The next thing Paul does is he explains his reason for writing this letter. He wants Timothy to know how people should conduct themselves in church. Now, we've already seen this verse every single week through our series so far. Um, it's a very important verse, describes the reason for the letter. But just notice as we read it this time, notice... Notice how Paul describes the church. He says, it is God's household, the family of God. He says, it is a church, the church of the living God. Church, is a, church means people that have been gathered together in a group. So, so the living God, the true God of the universe, has gathered these people together. And Paul says the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. In other words, the church holds up and holds out the truth of God to the world. This is an extraordinarily high view of church. Verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves 
in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul then finishes by describing this truth that the church is the pillar and foundation of. He calls it a mystery. A mystery is a word that means secret. Here it's a secret that's been revealed already. Um, It's actually the same word that Paul used back in verse 9. Did you notice in verse 9 where it said deacons have to hold the deep truths of the faith? Same word, the the mysteries of the faith. Uh, Paul says uh, this mystery, it, uh, it, it enables people to be truly pleasing to God. And what Paul does is he tells us the mystery in a little poem. See if you can work out what the mystery is as I read the poem. Verse 16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. What's the mystery? It's like, uh, it's like going back to connect kids, really, isn't it? Every, uh, the answer to every question should be Jesus. Um, there's, of course, that very famous story of the, the, the connect kids leader who said, um, said to the kids, uh, what is uh, grey and furry and lives in a gum tree? The kid put up his hand and said, uh, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a koala. <laughs> <laughs> What's the mystery? Uh, the mystery is Jesus. Uh, Jesus appeared in the flesh. Jesus appeared in the flesh when he was born. Jesus was vindicated by the Holy Spirit when when the Spirit raised him from the dead. Jesus was seen by angels. The word angel just means messenger. This is not talking about heavenly angels. I think this is talking about the human messengers who who eyewitnessed the resurrected Jesus and went on to speak about him. Uh, Jesus is being proclaimed and trusted in this world and Jesus is now at the right hand of God in glory, offering eternal life to those who trust in him. The mystery is Jesus. Jesus is the mystery, what does it say? The mystery from which true godliness springs. Jesus can transform you to be genuinely pleasing to God. In a real way, here on earth, but ultimately in heaven. He is the one who can change our eternity. That's the truth the church is the foundation and the pillar of truth about Jesus and let's face it that is the most important truth the world could ever hear isn't it Uh, that is the truth that determines people's eternal destiny this makes church more important than parliament or the united nations or or anything else church holds the truth of Jesus on the basis of which everyone's eternal destiny depends okay can you see what's here then in this passage, the church, God's household, where you can find the eternally important message about Jesus. And so it is vital for Timothy to know how, pe- how people should conduct themselves in church. And in particular, chapter 3, Timothy needs to know what kind of people to appoint as the leaders of the church and as the recognised servants of the church. Now, those who serve as deacons or as overseers need to be the com- kind of people who will commend the truth about Jesus by the way they live and by the way they teach and speak. Church is critically important 
And so it is crucial that the people who lead and the people who serve in church are appropriately qualified. Can you see, going back to the beginning, it's not like choosing who feeds the dog. Doesn't matter. It's more like choosing who designs the building. It matters very much what their qualifications are. We need to choose carefully. All right. Uh, so let's, let's think for a while about applying this passage to ourselves. A couple of things to think about. Firstly, uh, the importance of church, the importance of church. We, we've seen just here now in this passage that church is very important, haven't we? It's important. Why? Uh, firstly, because of who we belong to. We are God's church, his household. Uh, church is also important because of what we have, the, 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 the pillar and the foundation of the truth, the eternity-changing truth about Jesus. Look, I know our society doesn't think much of church, I know our society thinks church is at best irrelevant and at worst something, some place of evil and hypocrisy. We're seeing that more and more. Our society's got it wrong. But I suspect it's not just our society that undervalues the church. In, in our frantic, modern, individualistic culture, we can often undervalue church as well. It becomes a bit of an optional extra in our busy lives. What about you? Do you recognise the importance of these people gathered around you week by week? These are God's people. He loves them passionately what did paul say to the ephesian elders in our other reading acts chapter 20 this is the church of god which he bought with his own blood what an extraordinary statement that is god forbid that these people should be exploited god forbid that these people should be abused or, or taught a false gospel these are god's precious people also do you get the importance of the message that the church has? Do you get how much we need this message? Do you get how much the world needs this message? The world desperately needs Jesus and church is where they can find the truth about him. They won't find the truth about him on the TV. They will find the truth about Jesus in church. Can you see then how important it is that we be the kind of healthy functioning church that can faithfully show and tell Jesus to the world. Can you see how important it is that we be the kind of church that will be a faithful pillar and foundation of the truth? You know, because of my arm, this week I've been using uh, dictation software to write the talk this week. Can I say I don't like dictation software at all? Uh, what it writes down bears no resemblance to what I say. I don't have an accent, and uh, dictation uh, software should recognise that and just say what I say. Uh, actually, this is not on the script, but uh, during the week I was, I was writing an email to someone, and um, uh, I, whatever I said, the computer said the exact opposite. So I'd say something and say exactly the opposite. Like, you, you stupid computer! You stupid computer! Just, just get it right! Get it right! <laughs> no, 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 no. And so finally, after about half an hour, I managed to write this email. And I said, love, and it wrote love. And I said, Jeff Reed, and it wrote, just rude. <laughs> I am sure there's a little man in India on the other end of my computer just having a laugh at me. 
Anyway, because of my arm, I've been using dictation software to write this talk. And uh, every time this week when I've said the pillar and foundation of the truth, my dictation software writes the pillow and foundation of the truth. <laughs> Friends, I hope that's not us. A sleep on the job. Not, not, not the pillar of truth, but the, the pillow of truth. God, the message that the church has, it, it's too important. God forbid that we should get it wrong. God forbid that, that we should fail to hold up and hold out the true Jesus. God forbid that we should actually put people off Jesus by our sin or by our disunity or by our just sheer apathy. How is it that we think the world will recognise the importance of Jesus when we are so apathetic about him? church is the most important institution on earth we need to recognize that that's point number one of application and i think if we do recognize this truth i think it should have two important implications um, an important implication for church for us as a church but also an important implication for us as individuals if we recognize the importance of church first implication first implication of recognizing the importance of church is for our church uh, church is vitally important and so as a church we need to follow what it says in 1 timothy chapter 3 we need to choose carefully those who lead us and teach us, and those whom we recognise as servants of the church. We need to choose carefully. We need to choose people who are genuine Christians. We need to choose people who, by their lives, can set an example of godliness so they're not bringing embarrassment upon us or upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by their behaviour or their false teaching. Now, this applies to a greater or lesser degree in every area where we recognise people as serving in the, in the church. But in our circumstances, it especially applies uh, to, uh, to pastoral staff, to elders, to Bible study leaders, and to those who lead our youth or children's ministry. It is vital that those who serve us be properly qualified, qualified in the sense that we've read this evening in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, in this last year, we've uh, established a thing called Serving 2018. Uh, we're encouraging every member of our church to get involved, to play a part in the life of our church, to find a way to serve. But as a very important part of serving 2018, what our elders have done is they've, they've sat down and they've gone through every area of service in our church and they've established uh, criteria. They've set down the kinds of things we're looking for, the kinds of qualifications we're looking for in people for them to do these jobs. So, for example, let me, let me give you an example. Uh, on the sound desk, you want to serve on the sound desk? can aspire to be like Stella and Glenn back there. Uh, if you want to be on the sound desk, the elders, our elders say that you should be a genuine Christian who regularly attends church and who has done a training course. Thank you for serving. Uh, not overly strict qualifications, but qualifications nevertheless. Well, here's another example though, qualifications for an evening Bible study leader. Uh, we say that a Bible study leader has to be a genuine Christian who is regular at church uh, regularly part of a Bible study, who has shown themselves uh, after a significant period of time in our church to be of godly character, who has demonstrated leadership qualities in other areas, has demonstrated the ability to teach, who is willing to undergo ongoing training six times a year and who has been personally invited into the role by me. Quite high standards now. And, and we have come under criticism, some significant criticism this year. Some people have argued that our qualifications are too high in some areas. We've been called legalistic. Can you see it's got nothing to do with legalism? I'm not saying anyone has to 
have these qualities to be saved or anything like that. It's just being sensible and careful. God's church is so important. God's people are so precious. We want to be sure that the people who serve are firstly themselves being looked after, regular at church, hearing from God's word, regular in Bible study, being fed by God's word. We we want to ensure that they themselves are being looked after and we want to ensure that the people that, that we hold up as servants of our church and especially as leaders of our church have the appropriate biblical qualifications. It's not legalism, it's just recognising the crucial importance of what we are doing, the, 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 the enormous preciousness of the people that we're dealing with. Too much is at stake here to mess around. The importance of church has implications for us as a church. We need to choose carefully. But it's also got implications for us as individuals as well. So now I'm going to make you do a little bit of thinking for yourself. So, just think about this for yourself for a moment. Uh, Do you believe that church is God's precious people that he loves and bought with his own blood? Uh, Do you believe that, that church holds the truth that determines the eternal destiny of every person? Do you believe those things? Well, then, what impact should that have on your part in church? It's obvious, isn't it? If you believe that these are God's precious people and that the truth is in Jesus, then you want to be involved playing your part so that God's people can know Christ and commend him to the world, won't you? You want to be in there, boots and all. And so the first thing that you'll need to do is be at church. Be at church. As our church grows, we're trying to find better ways to keep track of people, to help us welcome and look after everyone, to know when people aren't here so we can send you an email, make sure you're okay, that kind of thing. But one thing that we've found is that on any given Sunday, about one-third of our people are not in church. One in three. Now, the reality is, uh, many of us are at church kind of nine times out of ten. But sort of if if that's one end of the spectrum, as we move through the spectrum, there's a very significant proportion of our church of people who come just like once a month or maybe twice a month. The church gets squeezed in if there's nothing else on. Friend, if this happens to be your once a month, I'm going to say something quite rude to you. I'm sorry if it's rude. But I'm just not convinced that that is the habit of someone who understands the importance of church. Not convinced. I think if you, if you really understood the importance of church, you would be here week by week unless there's a very good reason not to be. Don't you reckon you can't get involved if you're not here? What else? What else will characterise people who recognise the importance of church? Well, it should make you want to serve, shouldn't it? If you love God's church, if you long for our church to be faithful for God's sake and for our sake and for the sake of the world, if you care about church, you'll want to play your part, not not as a critic standing on the outside whinging about how terrible it is, not not as a spectator, but as not as a consumer, just taking what you can get, but as an active member in there, not whinging about how bad it is, but making it better. Contributing where you can. You want to know how to conduct yourself in church? Get in and serve. But remember 1 Timothy chapter 3, because if you recognise the importance of God's church, you want to be the kind of servant who can faithfully serve. 
And so you want to be one of these people of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Where you, you'll, be, you'll be striving to be above reproach, striving to be godly, striving to understand the deep truths of the faith. Again, this is why we've implemented Serving 2018, to encourage everyone to serve and to encourage everyone to strive to be the kind of person who can faithfully serve. Friends, church is God's church, his precious family. We need people with the right qualifications to lead us and serve us, and we should strive to be those people. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for calling us not just individuals uh, to be Christ's, but calling us as a family to be Christ's. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have our part in God's church when we trust in Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us by your spirit to be the sort of faithful people who can serve your church for the benefit of of church members, to commend the gospel to this world, and to bring glory to you. Father, we pray for those who lead and serve and teach us in our church that they would be faithful, that that our church might be truly a pillar and foundation of the truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.